Welcome to episode number 35 on the My Story Podcast. On the My Story Podcast, we feature interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, I'm Conrad Weaver, your host for the show. Community. When you hear that word, what comes to your mind? Maybe it's your neighborhood, your town, or your city. But what is community in business? How do you create a community of fans who love your company or your products? That is our conversation today on the My Story podcast. I'm thrilled to have Danielle Maville on the program today. Danielle has quite a track record of building communities within several companies I'm sure you'll recognize. Companies like Etsy, Lyft, BarkBox, and Airbnb. In our conversation, we'll talk about how she went from being a goldsmith to becoming one of the biggest names and sellers on Etsy, and then actually working for Etsy and the companies I just mentioned. Stay tuned for this compelling story. Hey, if you've been listening to the My Story podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I really enjoy telling stories, especially stories that matter. So I want to invite you to a new program I recently launched on Facebook. It's called Conversations in Ag. Each week, I host live interviews with leaders in agriculture from around the world. These interviews are posted live on several Facebook pages, including a new page called the American Farm Network. If you have an interest in food and learning about where our food comes from, I invite you to join me. Just go to Facebook and search for American Farm Network. You'll find it and you'll see the schedule for all of my live interviews there. And now here's my conversation with Danielle Maville. Danielle, welcome to the My Story Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Sure. I am a community builder. I work with brands and marketplace communities uh, in the tech world. I've been doing that for about 15 years. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm going to take a pause and go to LA for a few months, but uh, Brooklyn's where my heart is. Okay. So were you like born and raised in, in, in the New York area? I was born in Wales. My father was in the Navy. I was raised till I was about 11 in Las Vegas and then moved to Canada. My mom's Canadian to a small town in Canada. So okay. I've lived two very different lives. Right. <laughs> Las Vegas, <laughs> upbringing as a watchy child, uh, running around casinos, and um, uh, the small town Canadian teenage years. So very different experiences. Yeah. So how did you get from, you know, the small town in Canada to being involved in the tech world? So serendipitously, I have always been an artist and painted and drew and wrote. And I really wanted to find a way to create art, um, but also make a living doing it. So I ended up after my university years and that degree, I went to a college to learn goldsmithing. So I did goldsmithing for years, making jewelry and working with other goldsmiths and helping them run their business and went out on my own selling jewelry and found a website called Etsy. 
And within six months, I was a top seller on that site. And my jewelry was in boutiques across the world. And I had connected with all these creators that um, in the goldsmithing world, it's very private. Like you have to be an apprentice and you learn from someone like one person. It's just, you know, this very old school way of learning and um, like an industry that's not about sharing. Mm. When I found Etsy, all these young goldsmiths were sharing techniques and how they price work. And so I was really inspired. Um, And then I just met the founders of Etsy. They loved what I was doing and I was teaching other sellers to do what I was doing. So they thought, I could come in and build a program teaching other sellers. And that's what I did. I did that for five years Mm, and I've been doing that, just following different tech companies that sort of are aligned with my values or what I'm doing in that moment uh, for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. So back to the gold goldsmithing. So I have a good friend from college who owns a jewelry shop up in Brunswick, Maine uh, fields Mm -hmm. jewelers. And he's, he's a goldsmith. He's one of the, I guess, better known goldsmiths in the Northeast and uh, his his jewelry is amazing. So I'd love to see some of your stuff uh, that you've done. Sure, yeah. and do you still do you still practice the the craft of goldsmithing? I really don't. I crave it. I mean, there was part of it that I loved, and part of it that was just like very hard. Like that craft is so hard. Sure. You're continually working on little tiny things and like perfecting them. And we were trained to be perfectionist as well. So, uh, but I do miss the like sitting on a bench. It's so meditative just to sit and create. It's just you and that piece. You're bending metal, heating metal, setting stones, soldering, like all that stuff is just, just this process is so meditative. It puts you right in this creative zone. Mm. It's like architecture on a very small scale too, which is very fun. Like the math of it. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by the, the creativity that people have and, and where their inspiration comes from. So where did your inspiration come from in, in your creativity? Wow. I've always loved art. I think it was like an escape for me as a child. I was an introvert with a single mom who worked a lot and my mom brags and says I would sit in the corner and color for hours a day. So I think I could go into these worlds with shapes and colors um, and just create little worlds for myself as a child. And it just kind of continued through my adult years. And I think it was a way to find my identity and find out who I was. I did a ton of self portraits and like back when I had a camera, selfies weren't a thing, but I was doing selfies, you know, with actual cameras and film. And um, I think it was really a way to get to know myself And jewelry, I really loved playing with form and function. I got into architecture and like, how could I mimic the like Bauhaus style in in smaller pieces? And it just was really fun to play and get inspired not only by what was coming to my mind, but what I saw around me in the world, all the shapes and colors. And yeah, Mm -hmm. just, I think the abstractness of it as well, you know, you don't just follow steps A through Z, you really can go off into all these other worlds and just is a really fun thing. That's really the beauty of art. And even in film as I, you know, I work in film, I can kind of do whatever floats through my brain and go create something that uh, a story or or tell a story I want to tell. And that's, that's the joy of being creative. And sometimes it's also the, the challenge of being creative is like, okay, what's next? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that creativity shape what you do when you're working with some of these companies? 
Yeah, even as I was talking, I was thinking, oh, this makes sense. I think there are a few things that really make sense for why I've been as successful as I have in tech, uh, especially in that startup world. One is the creativity and innovation. I think from doing art for so long, I wasn't afraid to fail and do something wrong. I think you have to kind of just try and see what sticks. So there's that part of me. And I think I've always also been an entrepreneur. I always tell this story of when I was five years old, I got a kitten. And the first thing I did was put a sign in the window that said kitten show five cents. And I charged <laughs> the neighbors. To come over That's awesome. Hang out with my kitten. <laughs> so I had those two, like this entre- entrepreneurial spirit, the artist spirit. And then my dad is actually an engineer and he has this very fascinating uh, mathematical scientific brain. I think I got just a sliver of that, not very much. <laughs> I got a sliver of that. So I have the interest in tech um, and all those things came together really well. I think in the startup tech world, you have to be, you have to go in different lanes and pivot on a dime. You And you can't be too precious about your work. So Being an artist, I think, put me in that space of like, let's test this. If it doesn't work, let's quickly pivot and do something that does work um, and not be too precious about it. That worked really well for me. And the flexibility, I think I also tried so many different mediums that for me, I have my values, I have my skills, and I can just pivot to a different medium or a different format um, or a different like email platform. There's like things you just take with you what you have internally and then use different mediums to connect with people. Mm-hmm. So what is community when it relates to business? Yeah, good question. I was talking about this yesterday because I have a lot of people come to me and say, I want to build a community. And I think, okay, do you want to build a community or you want to build an email list or do you want to build some followers that will buy everything you put out. So you really have to think about what you want to build and be thoughtful and careful about it. I don't think there's anything wrong with building a following or building an email list, but a community is something that you build. You build the space for them. You build the avenues that they're going to connect with you and with each other. And then you monitor them and you grow them and you know, you're continually thinking about the value you're providing in this space to these members. What value are you providing them? What value are they providing each other for being there? So it's something you're continually cultivating, landscaping, manicuring, testing, playing, and you're in that space with them all the time. Um, So I just tell people to be careful, actually, because if you build a community and then you leave them, that's painful. Mm. (laughs) Or you build something and people are there and they're really excited about it and then you move on to the next thing those aren't people who are going to be really interested in following you. Hmm. So if you're really thoughtful about it, it can be super powerful. So at Etsy, we really wanted to change the way the world's economy worked. And we needed an army to do that. And we wanted an army that also wanted to go back to their roots and like make and sell to each other. Like we envisioned that musicians and filmmakers and anyone creating anything could come to Etsy and actually exchange the craft. Um, And so when we have that really strong value system, we also set up spaces that we monitored and we fostered um, and we cared for, for these communities to creative and work together. A lot of things we weren't prescriptive. I think 
a lot of times in brand community, I see like we're having this event on this day and everyone's going to be there. And that's what the community is. Um, we let the community decide, oh, they want to do this. They want to do that. And then we started to support them in their journey, connecting with each other and supporting the brand's mission. Do you think that's a pretty important thing to allow the community to kind of be organic and to, to form its own identity? Yeah. Yeah. I think you always have to share what your values are and what the community's values should be and what the rules are. What game are we playing here and what are the rules and what's outside the boundary and what's inside you can um, behave in a way that you want your community to behave as well and then let them go and see what they do with that. So I think it's important to build that foundational structure, but then see how they build on top of that. And don't be obsessed with like, are they getting to the CTA, the call to action? Are they taking the next step? Instead, just see how they play with each other, how they build together and how once they understand the common values between them, what are they gonna do with that? I mean, that's when I think, and this is where I think brands go so wrong and they might build an incredible community at the beginning and then they start to go, oh, I have this army. Now I'm like gonna get them to do A, B, C, and D. And it loses its magic and you'll mm. see your community kind of fizzle. Because they can see maybe you're trying to take advantage of them. You're taking advantage of that community in a way that they didn't expect. Absolutely. And yeah. you think as the you know elder, you think I know what's best for you. So even though I'm pushing you to do this, I have this grander vision and you're gonna thank me for it. And that's how I think people start to fumble and, and make the wrong decisions. Mm -hmm. So you've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. I mean, you've, you've worked with Etsy, obviously, and you've worked with Lyft and, and Airbnb. And by the way, my wife and I are Airbnb hosts. And we've had an Airbnb for three and a half years now. And it's been an amazing experience. And that came out of me traveling and needing to look for other options. I was in Seattle for a conference and the hotel was like 350 bucks a night. And I was like, okay, that's, I'm, I'm you know, spending my own money here. So I found an Airbnb for like $120 a night. And I was like, I was like, I was hooked and I became part of that community. And so my travels these days, you know, that's my first go-to is where's an Airbnb. And so then my mm -hmm. wife and I decided, hey, let's try this. And we've absolutely loved the community of Airbnb and building relations. We've got friends all over the world now. You know, we have friends in England and in Spain and in Australia. And, you know, and these people have said, when you come to my country, you have a place to stay. You know, and so it's been an amazing experience. And so what, what, were, what was your role with some of those companies in developing the community uh, standards or guidelines for, for those companies? Sure. See, with Etsy, I was focused on education and how, because I was obsessed with growth of the community of artists. And I wanted them all to see is at the end, before I started working for Etsy, I was paying all my bills. I was saving. I had actually hired someone. And to me, this was so, so magical. And I wanted every single person who wanted to take that path to to get there. Um, and I knew right away I didn't have the answers for everyone. Everyone's in a different field, different state, like different countries sometimes. So 
Um, I built community around education. So what, how can I get people to support each other through this journey and get them to that place? And ultimately that's great for the brand, right? Everyone knows exactly what to do to become super successful. And then you have all these really powerful sellers. So that's what I did at Etsy. Um, I then went to BarkBox and there I ran the social, uh, the customer service team. And then we launched a team called the Social Good Team. And that's when I started thinking about community that doesn't live on an island. So often if you go to a brand and you want to get involved with their community, you might go to an event in another place. You might go to a blog that's kind of on its own little WordPress site hanging out there. Um, you might go to like a forum that you can tell has just been plugged in. <laughs> Um, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could actually build technology for community, like serve them and connect them? And I see like so many missed opportunities with the biggest community websites in the world, like Facebook, like how basic it is. And I just think of all the magical things you could build into a product like that. Mm. So I did a little dabbling in that with building for animal rescue um, and people who are looking to adopt. Mm -hmm. um, so I built some products there. Uh, then I worked at Airbnb, which is super fun. And what I love about Airbnb is exactly what you were talking about. I think those founders really believed in how good people were. And if you just brought them together, instead of what everyone fears is that we're going to take advantage of each other. They saw, no, no, no. When you bring people together, most people are very good and want to connect with each other. It's a mutual trust thing. You know, yeah. as a host, I have to trust that you're coming into my home and that you're going to leave it the way you found it. And, and they're going to have to trust me that I have a clean place and a safe place to stay. And, you know, it's a mutual thing. I've had friends say, you got strangers in your home. I'm like, yeah, but, but they're cool because they get it. They get what Airbnb is and what it means. Yeah. So, it, that's pretty interesting. And I think about that a lot. I think having a strong brand that really somehow conveys your values through every word, through the logo, through the website, through the interactions, even the onboarding, that's so important. I think, I think Airbnb does it really well, but I can see ways that they could even amp it up. Like mm -hmm. The connections I'm sure you've made with people who have stayed with you, probably all of that lives outside. Mm -hmm. of sure. the website right. and the experience. Yep. Oh, how can we bring those magical moments into the technology and the user, digital mm -hmm. user experience? That's where I think like the future of community and tech is. Mm -hmm. um, but there I worked on the experiences side. So that's like tour guides and um, experts who when you would travel, and I am such now, even when I travel, I make sure to do experiences because I meet people who I wouldn't have met before. Mm -hmm. like, chefs and oh my gosh I've met so many people goldsmiths and all different types of characters in Portugal in Rome in Melbourne like all over the world and those people are so magical and they really want to show you they're really inspired by showing you the real x you know the real Portugal the real New York so I worked with that that community there and I built up uh, comms strategy and an onboarding flow. And then my most exciting project there was this global event strategy. And this was kind of taking all pieces from everything that I've done. So how are we bringing these hosts together to learn from each other um, and to be really excited about hosting experiences and take it to the next level. So I got to travel the world mm -hmm. during events and bringing people together and like 
um, a lot of these people are competitors. Hmm. They're, you know, they, they might see each other as competitors. I'll say like the most magical moment in these events is when a woman came up to me and said, thank you for organizing this. I came here because I wanted to learn the tricks. I wanted to learn how to be more successful. And she's like, within an hour, I had realized that I was in a room with the most fascinating people in this city. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm part of a community. Wow. And I just was like, weeping. like, that is exactly <laughs> what we're doing here. Um, yeah. And then at Lyft, it was very interesting. We ha- I ran a council, an advisory council from of drivers. So we had 40 markets. We had 120 drivers across the U.S. and Canada. And I started building a program that would take their feedback and bring it internally. So I was really trying to connect the brand and the community. I wanted us to feel like we were on one mission together and that we're truly listening to each other and on a two-way street. I mean, it's a really tough industry and Lyft does care about its drivers, uh, but they just don't always know what the drivers are craving and needing. So it was really all the work of building these really powerful feedback loops to make sure these stories, um, and that's where I was leaning at the end. Um, mm. I would have loved to have worked with you, but um, I was starting even to make videos because mm. I'm like, oh, I can't say this enough. Drivers are saying X, drivers want X. Instead, mm. let's do a video of a driver saying, I want this, I need this, and here's how it's going to impact my life. Mm. And then I forward that along to the team that's building that. And that's been uh, my ride so far. Mm-hmm. So you've written about the other woman in tech. So what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, there's a lot of like women in tech groups for women engineering engineers. Um, so it's like the women who are sitting in the room with the coders and it's really tough for them to be in tech. There's a huge percentage of people who work in tech who are on this sort of liberal arts side. So they're the majority of customer service teams, the majority of community teams, the majority of design teams. So they almost feel like a second class citizen and they also are probably 75% women. So it's very interesting to see that we kind of play these like online janitorial roles of like, cleaning up Facebook comments <laughs> or coming up with the content or, or just keeping the lights on. A lot of the ops people, the operations people are women. Hmm. Um, and we just kind of don't have a community or like a spotlight as much as like a woman who's an engineer and facing those struggles. I think they're kind of, they're very similar and we can work together, but I think they're different struggles. Mm-hmm. So, so what motivates you to do what you do? Mm-hmm. I think um, going back to, I was the only child, the single mom, we moved around a lot and I didn't have a community. I didn't have a ton of roots. And I've only realized in the last five years, like, oh, I have always been craving and searching and recreating what I needed, Mm -hmm. you know, community, community, people getting together, people teaching each other, growing together, building lifelong bonds. I think that's what's really inspired me to continue to do this work. Um, That, and I see the potential. I see the potential for tech to not be the bad guy, to actually increase the way we value each other and connect with each other and strengthen the bonds between us um, instead of the way tech is working right now and creating this divisiveness and these clicks. And um, I just see the potential at such an early stage of tech and community and that in 
hopefully in a hundred years, it's going to be like a magical place <laughs> to be. And it's not going to feel as painful as it is now. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, interesting, when we speak about community, when I think about community, I think about my friend Kyle Sailors, and I interviewed him for a podcast here a couple of episodes ago, and he's a filmmaker out of Nashville. And I don't know if you saw his episode, but he built this community of, of, of creatives that, that get together physically at his house and other places around the world when he travels. And I've, I've taken his idea and built a local community here called Dinner with Friends. And it's just people that I've connected with over the years. And it's a secret Facebook group that I invite people to. And I'm going to make sure you get an invite to it. And right now we just meet virtually. We, we have these dinners through, through Zoom. But uh, he, he came to our dinner this past week and through Zoom and told his story about how he created a community because he had that background where he didn't have any friends. And he went through a divorce and he was just alone and he thought, you know what, I'm going to invite a bunch of people to my house and just see what happens. Maybe no one will show up, but we'll see. And he had like a hundred and some people show up. Wow. And his last yeah. party he had at his house for New Year's, he had... I think between seven and 800 people show up. He was like, I don't recommend that, <laughs> you know, but he developed this huge. And now he said he's had dinner with more than 6,000 of his friends, Wow! you know, all over the world. And he's built this network and, it, and it's also a secret Facebook group that you have to be invited to. And, and uh, so it was just fascinating how he had a need personally but he then created this space for people to meet. And he said, there has been more people that have got recording deals or movie contracts or other things because they came to one of my dinners or they came to one of my events. And he said, my, I have no agenda except for getting people together. Right. And I think yep. sometimes our technology, especially these days with COVID has separated us so much and that physical togetherness is so vital and so important. Mm -hmm. So how do you envision technology in the future, perhaps bringing us together physically? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, interesting. Well, I think even when you were talking, I was, people are craving community. Like we have created this society where we're not connecting with each other mm -hmm. meaningfully. Um, or without that call to action, right? Like I'm sure you've been invited to webinars and mm -hmm. events and you're like, oh, I know why I'm here. Yeah. At the end, they want me to do this, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so how does that give you the, the space to actually turn to the person beside you and be curious mm -hmm. about them and connect with them? It doesn't because you're put into a little, you're a number and you want to see if we can get you to right. the finish line and get a dollar from you, right? Yep. So yep. what I would just see is like, opening up of the limitations. I think um, it's so interesting at Etsy, we had an amazing artist and he's gone on to be a digital artist, uh, but he actually built a lot of the tools that we used and he built a virtual classroom and he very much like your friend, he didn't have a CTA. He didn't have something he wanted everyone who came into the space to do. He actually thought, let me put out some seats and just see how people use it. And actually you can pick up a seat and move it. And let's see how people rearrange themselves. And then he thought, let me give them a way to like throw 
icons at each other and let me give them a ton of icons so that they have a way to express themselves and let's see what they do. Mm. And let me add in chat and let me add in, you can pop an item from your Etsy store into this space if you wanted to. I'm trying to think of bell, other bells and whistles. Oh, you could spin your icon and then we turned it on. We flipped the switch and turned it on. And just to see the people create rituals and create little things that they would do. So they started spinning when they agreed with you. Mm -hmm. This isn't something we said, mm -hmm. if you agree with us, spin, right? Mm -hmm. We just were like, let's see what happens. And then it just started to be magical. And everyone else in the room would be like, oh, you spin when you agree. And like, that was something we collectively came up together. Essie didn't tell us we have to do X. Mm -hmm. um, they started throwing airplanes at each other when they were a little bored, right? So we would kind of be giving a lecture and go, oh, people are bored because they're throwing airplanes <laughs> at each other. And the airplanes would actually kind of like, um, and yes, this was really old technology, but I think it was a place in the internet timeline where we were having a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where I think we need to be. So I don't have an exact idea of what that looks like, but I would love to build some tools and let people play and see how they have fun with technology. Um, I'm obsessed with TikTok right now. I think they're taking a lot of missteps, um, but I think also they've kind of accidentally built something that is so flexible and malleable and quick and easy that people are using it and almost taking it back from the creator and using it in a way that um, is pretty powerful. Uh, I, so I don't know. I think it's like just opening up and making it more creative, right? We talked about art at the beginning and mm -hmm. creativity. How can you be creative when you sit in a Zoom room and you have one thing I can do here? <laughs> I can raise my hand. Right. <laughs> you know, that's all I can do in the class. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of limiting, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, that's exciting. I can raise my hand. <laughs> so what of all the things you've done and accomplished, what are you most proud of? I think I was going to say, like, I built this global event strategy for Airbnb, which to me is like the most impressive thing I've done. And I'm super proud of it. But I also was working with Animal Rescue at BarkBox and building tools that I was super proud of. They ended up all getting taken down and I didn't get to, they didn't reach the potential that they could. But um, I was just super proud that that was building tools that really could help create change in this world. I think animals really need our help. Um, there's so many animals in need and it's such an old infrastructure that people are using. Um, I think these tools can really help get dogs adopted and there's absolutely no reason in any in the world that a dog needs to be put down. Um, and there's so many fun things we can do to help connect people with animals near them. Um, so building those tools, they were really powerful when they were active. And um, I think that's what I'm, I'm proud of because I really got to play in that sandbox and uh, meet a need and, and really bring value to a space that's really close to my heart. Mm, very cool. So the question I always ask someone on, on the podcast is what are some of the life lessons you've learned along the way? some of those big things that really stick out to you? Mm. I, uh, this is not related to my work, which I'm mostly talking about, but um, about 10 years ago, I and I've always been a feminist, but there's something that's really ingrained and deep-seated in women that if they don't have a romantic partner, they 
are losers. You know, like they haven't fulfilled their destiny. And about 10 years ago, I was like, I am looking for love in this very specific way, in this really specific lane. And there's nothing creative or innovative or fun about it anymore. I hate it. Mm. Um, And I was like, you know what? I think that potentially there's love all around me and I need to find out where the love comes from in my community, where the love is coming from my friends, where the love is in my life with my family. And I just have been focused on that for the last 10 years. And I've been so happy and um, joined a lot of groups of other single women who are struggling through this and try to tell them like what the lessons I've learned and how like much, how more fulfilled I am just focusing on the love that is like all around you and not being so stuck on one very specific lane. Hmm. Um, So that's a huge life lesson for me. I think I always come back to love in my lessons, like to any decision you make, focusing on love versus fear. Like, are you making this decision because you're afraid of what would happen if you didn't? Or are you really like, does something light up inside your heart that you need to go in that direction? Mm-hmm. Um, I try to do that in all aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So when the movie about your life is made, so I'm a filmmaker and when you're making a movie and documentary, you, you write a log line. When the movie yes. about your life is made, what will the log line be? Hmm. Maybe like we'll we'll get out the Las Vegas thing might be too too much of a, a zigzag. So maybe we'll say like small town Canadian girl brings community back to the world, something like that. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, I think you've been uh, you've been able to do that, and so that's that's pretty awesome. So I know that COVID has impacted a lot of things, and and I'm sure it has impacted you in a way. Uh, what's the next big thing for you? Hmm. Man, you know what? I, I just had a job interview and they asked me that and I was like, you know what? I don't know. And I like to be honest about that. I've never sort of, I've always just moved in a way that I feel inspired. So right now I'm actually, cause I've left Lyft as part of the layoffs. So I'm really sitting here going, okay, what is lighting up inside of me? I have like 10 different ideas and ways, directions I can go in, but I want to really go deep down and see what is like spark, what is creating a spark inside of me that I want to go in that direction. And that's how I move throughout life. That's how I found every job I found, every friendship, every community is just go in the direction that feels the most inspiring so I'm sort of at a pause right now to think, ooh, where am I going to go that's that's most inspiring and that's going to be, that's going to create community and um, get me closer to this grand vision of changing the way we connect mm. through tech. I think that's mm. that's where I'm, I'm at right now. Yeah. Do you think a book is in the works sometime in the future? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I sat down to write a book once and I just, I, I go so fast and like, I think that the startup world is great for me too, because I'm constantly pivoting. So mm-hmm. I sit down to write, it's like, oh, wow, it's a magical moment. <laughs> I don't know if I can have that many magical moments in a row, um, but that would be really cool. I would love to write about community and tech. Um, there's some really great books out there, but I think it's a kind of a niche topic that I would love to write about. So. Perhaps. Well, I think you should. I think that'd be great. So speaking of books, what are some of the books that have books and maybe even podcasts that have kind of your go-to that have really inspired you? 
There is a few new books out. So one is Building Brand Communities, and that's Carrie Melissa Jones and Charles Vogel. And Charles Vogel has another book on community called The Art of Community, and those two are fantastic. Um, you know, you must read them if you are trying to build a brand community. There's one called Get Together, which is really great, too. Um, I can't remember the authors. They're in New York. Um, they have a consultancy, too, for community. Really great book. The Art of Gathering. Um, Kriya, I can't remember her last name, but you'll see that one. That's a good one. I think you would love that because it's all about, you know, the different forms it takes to bring community together and mm -hmm. events like a dinner party mm -hmm. series. You said The Art of um, Gathering? The Art of Gathering. Those are the top community books that I lean on. And podcasts, man, I listen to so many podcasts. There's a bunch of really good ones out there. Yeah. yeah. I don't listen to too many uh, community podcasts. There's uh, one I love in the tech space called Pivot. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I think it's out two or three times a week. So it's all about tech news, but it's done really tongue in cheek and fun. Mm -hmm. And they drag a lot of big tech companies, which I find quite enjoyable to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Danielle, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and to hear your story and to learn about what you've accomplished and and congratulations on all your accomplishments. And uh, I wish you the very best in the future. And uh, I'll be looking for that book to come out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Thanks, Danielle, for your story. I'm looking forward to reading your book once you decide to write and publish it. Hey, I'd really love it if you'd write a review for this podcast. I want to know if you're enjoying them or not. You know, leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or on the podcast page on Podbean. And thanks for listening and for sharing. The music on today's show is from my friend Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. And if you like what you heard today, there's more coming next week. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so these episodes show up right there on your device. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again next time on the My Story Podcast. <laughs>